0: historical
1: shade (laughs) I like it so much when you do the intro Laura can you just always do the intro
0: hey everybody this is historical shade Uh, we are going to talk about people in history giving shade to each other or every once in a while stuff that we want to give shade to history for doing which may not be this week but I have one coming up that I have some extreme shade about Um, we like to disclaim we are artists we are not historians we just like history so let us know. Um, also, crowdsource us. Email us uh, your shade. So mm-hmm. continue, Julie. So yeah. you crowdsource this one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, so I crowdsource a suggestion. Uh, this came from my friend Russell. Uh, okay. he, he's on the gram at Brazen Overtures. Ooh! Yeah, and he, uh, he, he's always got some, some good shares and some, some good sass. Russell's got opinions, and that's one of the things I adore about him. I mean... You look like you had an ellipse or something, like you were about to say something.
0: Yeah, I, I just love the Instagram handle, Brazen Overtures, like, and the fact that he was the first person to get it. Like, do you ever have people that, like, they get an Instagram handle, and you're like, that wasn't already taken? Man. Yes. If I just had the balls to, like, go after the Instagram handle that I really wanted. But I just assume someone's already taken it. Anyway, that's a metaphor. Continue. (laughs) Laura's going to spend her afternoon changing Instagram handles. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. So today I'm going to talk about the Astor Place Riots, also known as the Shakespeare Riots. Um, They occurred at the now demolished Astor House in Manhattan. And depending on the source, they left between 22 and 31 rioters dead. And more than, yeah, yeah, it was big. Yeah. Uh, More than 120 people injured. Okay. So it was the deadliest to that date of civic disturbances in Manhattan. Um, And generally at that time, pretty much all of the civic disturbances pitted immigrants and nativists against each other uh, or together against the wealthy who controlled city police and state militia. So I'm just gonna let that fact sit for a minute because clearly we've learned nothing from history and nothing has changed. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, uh, what what qualifies as a civic disturbance? Like,
1: um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go look it up real quick because okay. I don't necessarily know. Oh, you can get disturbance so means of acts of violence and disorder prejudicial to the public law and order it includes acts such as riots acts of violence insurrections unlawful obstructions or assemblages and other disorders prejudicial to public law and order okay cool, cool. so it just feels like if you have assembled mm-hmm. but like not necessarily gotten permission or a approval or whatever like against the man yeah and you can assemble and just like talk and that's still a civil disobedience but you can also assemble and like murder people still a civil disobedience except for the purge
0: which is totally (laughs) legal
1: (laughs) um so at its base you can say Mm -hmm. This was a riot in New York over the correct theatrical interpretation of Macbeth. Um, but it's, it's much more complicated than that because then okay. you have to look at who's performing the Macbeth and, and why they have different interpretations and all of that. Laura, you are so giddy right now. I How do you so take excited. a screenshot on this computer?
0: Um, let me tell you why. <laughs> I'm just taking pictures of you on my phone. I'm always crying for how excited I'm going to be <laughs> here's why because I've just imagined so I don't know anything about this and I'm so excited as a theater person but I'm just imagining like by my, my like acting to class in college or like even graduate school like uh, acting for the classics and like people would get up in arms about like what to be or not to be meant and like, way too, where it's, I take theater very seriously, but there's like another level where people are like, no, what Shakespeare meant, da da da. da. And like, part of you just wants to be like, Shakespeare wanted to make money, though, guys. Like, <laughs> let's also remember. Anyway, so I'm just imagining, I don't want to name names, but I'm just imagining like seven people in those acting classes that were way too serious. Continue.
1: Um yeah, so I I feel like this riot like was like a blip in my theater history class as well because uh-huh. like I vaguely remembered it and then when I started like researching this, I was like, Holy shit, first of all, why is there not a movie or a series about this? Because it's right like, now. <laughs> right? Yeah. Y'all call me. I'll be in. It. Um, So in the early to mid 19th century, American theater is dominated by British actors and managers like they're, Mm -hmm. so the rise of Edwin Forrest, he's like the first American star. So this is is a big deal. Like Mm -hmm. the uh, partisanship of his supporters, it's sort of an early sign of this like homegrown American entertainment business. So it's all like just his existence at all in the American theater scene is like already creating attention and he came up uh, in in Philadelphia is where he came up and and I read one article where he he talked about how like his first show, he got all these amazing reviews and then like the guy pulled him in the office and was like, okay, well, um, we're just, we're gonna let you go. Um, We sort of, in so many words, need someone british because we need the star power so like that is the equivalent today of like you don't have enough instagram followers for us to cast you in this um oh and i think he's sort of like had a like that was like the start in the start of his career of him just like hating british actors so he okay. he's also got you know he's got some breakup like juice about this whole situation yeah so in 1849 he is at the height of his popularity he's famous for his ruggedly masculine good looks he's got a very forceful acting style and so oh, i we- would have
0: dated him <laughs> it, would, it would have not gone well but i would have dated him <laughs> so <laughs> and i would have yeah. been the one that was like
1: ooh, i don't, uh, don't want to give advice for dating but uh, so for years, he and the more restrained British actor William McCready had been professional rivals. So when it started out, it was not as tense. It was, you know, you know we're just, we're rivals. Uh, but it just gets increasingly more contempt for each other's work and their approach to the classic Shakespeare roles. Um, I should note, because I feel like I bring up Fallout a lot, when I first read McCready, I was like, already drawn to him I was like oh McCready and then I realized it's because McCready is one of my favorite characters in the series um he has a great backstory but he is not the McCready we're talking about so don't be fooled like I was okay um so on top of that like the public loves this idea of dueling actors like when uh,
0: they're they're just eating it up so when Forrest. mm -hmm, but like today, the we still do that, right? Like on like People Magazine and stuff. It's like Angelina Jolie, especially if there's a man involved. But that's like the Patreon People link. But like whenever, yeah, they just we still love that. Continue. Yeah, we have
1: learned nothing. People. No. <laughs> Uh,
0: so Forrest,
1: so he actually embarks on a tour of McCready's home turf in England. And the first tour, like everybody comes to see him. And so again, it uh. that first tour, it's actually helping both of them. So like mm-hmm. it's this like transatlantic rivalry because like McCready goes to America and like he does really well as well. Mm-hmm. So the second visit MacReady takes to America, that's when things get, like, a little iffy. Okay. Because <laughs> what Forrest does is he follows him around the country and appears in the same place <gasps> to challenge him. Forrest. I know. I know. He's not... McCready may be a snobby Brit, but like Forrest is not doing too well in
0: my book so far. Okay. So during <laughs> my divorce, I would Instagram certain pictures. And then the woman who we're going to, we're going to divulge for a second. The woman who um, was sleeping with my husband. So we were like mile, I was in Pennsylvania at this time and or Tennessee. I was somewhere else and she was in Florida, but I would Instagram like a picture of my boots like, because I walked through airport security in these really high heels, because boots don't fit in luggage. You have to wear, if you want cute boots, you have to wear them on the plane. 100%. Uh, Yeah. So uh, the security officer mentioned like, oh, you must be committed to looking cute, right? And I was like, no, no, which like now is actually very, don't comment on what I'm wearing security officer. But um, I took a picture of it on Instagram. And then she put like, two hours later, a picture of her boots. And there was like this, there was this very continuing and like, I didn't look at her Instagram, but I had friends who were like, Hey, I think she looks at your stuff. Anyway, that's what this reminds me of, of like, why, why are you even doing that? Why are you trying to see the equal likes? Like why emotionally? Anyway. So if you have a rivalry, don't put up the same kind of picture and look at how many likes you get. Don't do it. That's the Forest McCready happening all over again.
1: <laughs> We're gonna bring that into conversation again. Like okay. let's like <laughs> the next time someone does something on Instagram I'm gonna Yo, are you pulling a forest? forest? <laughs> yep. Oh geez.
0: Uh where was I? Did oh, forest okay. thirst trap people too?
1: Did forest what?
0: Thirst trap people, just like
1: <laughs> I'm oh. hotter. I'm hotter than McCready. Why is thirst trap just such a wonderful phrase?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so given the tenor of the time, of course, the, like the newspapers are going to support homegrown star Forrest, which makes me laugh because of later. But so right now the newspapers are like, woo, woo, Forrest. Um, so on Forrest's second visit to London, he's less popular than his on his first trip. And the only explanation, I mean, the only justification for that is that clearly MacReady had maneuvered against him. Um, So he goes to a performance of MacReady playing Hamlet and like literally hisses at him. What? Yeah. And so MacReady's response was to say that Forrest was without taste.
0: Well. (laughs) Right. That that's at once you the start most hissing,
1: yeah it's the most tasteful response to someone hissing at you possible
0: yeah like we all like in theater someone comes to see your show like and you don't necessarily like the show I've had shows that I've hated I still don't hiss at
1: anyone in my head um Forrest is basically acting like the the lady in um, the Princess Bride during like Buttercup's wedding march where she's like Ugh, Ugh, Ugh. that's that's how Forrest is behaving in my head. Okay. So up until this point, the rivalry had been more or less good natured. Well now it gets bitter. So McCready, so now we're moving towards the riot. So this is now McCready's third visit to America in 1849. Forrest has again booked himself into nearby theaters. Um, so Forrest Partisans disrupted a McCready performance at Philadelphia's Arch Street Theater during the tour. Um, <laughs> McCready sent notes of protest to the newspapers and Forrest responded with a note calling McCready a superannuated, superannuated dribbler. Um, which made me laugh because when I was in college, I did like a a summer Shakespeare thing, and Mm -hmm. our director cast Mm supernumeraries, which uh, up until that point, I never heard the phrase, but it's, it's literally just bodies to fill out the stage.
0: Yeah, it's a stage extra. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and (laughs) I'll never forget one of the supernumeraries, keep saying that five times fast, um, I can't, I think we were doing, like, King Lear or something, where she was just, like, a supernumerary, like, you know, assistant to Regan or whatever and it was when like the storm was starting Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and so like all this drama is talking and like Lear is like being like "Ah, I disown my children blah 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 and this girl's in the background like holding up her hand and looking at her hand and then like looking up at the sky and then at one point she like mimes putting an umbrella up and we were playing this like in the era like heavy historical costumes And I just like, I'll never forget the director stopping the rehearsal and being like, what are you doing? Like, so that's my supernumerary story. I always think of that when we play bad extra in improv, because I'm like, oh, I'm going to be that girl someday.
0: (laughs) Supernumeraries are really popular. Like they got, I don't know if they got their start in opera, but they're still used in opera a lot because you have your like main chorus, but then these opera scenes are so grand. So that's where... I know it, and it's very, it's, yeah, it's just funny to me when people are like, I'm a supernumerary, it's like, you're a, which, like, there's no, there's no, like, I've been an extra, I've been a supernumerary, because it pays the bills, and it gets you in, and you know, but, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's a a supernumerary, what did you say? A supernuated driveler. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's
1: so much better than you lack taste. Yeah. So I'm gonna say point to Forrest on
0: this one. Oh however <laughs> But like Forrest lost like 70 points by booking oh. a nearby venue. So. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. He's he's nowhere close to McCready in terms yeah. of class at this point. So yeah. step it up, Forrest. Um it gets worse though, because at one point oh. the carcass of a dead sheep was thrown <laughs> on stage at McCready.
0: Okay, let's was it by Forrest or by someone else?
1: It was by his his supporters. Okay, which
0: Let's talk about the day. Like I understand, I understand, I don't understand this, but you know, you go to a show. You just went to the farmers market. You have some tomatoes. Like you throw them on stage. Someone had to plan and carry an extra fucking big bag. <laughs> Like, cause you know, whenever you go to the movies, sh- I don't do this. And you bring like a slightly larger bag to accommodate like your bottle of water and your candies. <laughs> so what
1: do you much. mean you don't do that?
0: Oh, I do that. Oh, um, okay. I
1: was like, what? We
0: all do that. <laughs> we did that together. I specifically have a movie purse. <laughs> but like someone had to have a dead sheep purse <laughs> <laughs> like to, to do that. Continue. You are not
1: wrong my friend. And someone
0: had to suggest that. Like there had to be a meeting and someone would go like I I got the dead sheep. sheep. I got the sheep. I got the sheep. I and then I somebody else. Somebody else is in the corner like I had a dead goat just for th- <laughs> Damn it,
1: Todd. Ugh. Uh so the climate worsened when Forrest instigated divorce proceedings against his English wife for moral conduct. Um and all of this comes down the day McCready arrived in new york for his farewell tour so like people are just like very anti-english at this point mm-hmm. um there's a whole side tangent that i could go on about the story of forrest walking in on his wife um but in the interest of time we cannot but just know like look up forrest this guy's got stuff okay. um So the the thing that's interesting is like, among the supporters, this dispute is reflecting a growing split in the American public because Flores is like the hero of the working man and the lower classes, and his connections were substantial with working people, with the gangs of New York. Uh, He had made his debut at the Bowery Theater, um, which had come to cater mostly to a working class audience drawn from like the violent immigrant heavy five points neighborhood of lower Manhattan, a few blocks Mm to the West. And, you know, he, he's like a muscular guy. Like he looks like a guy that's working. He has a very impassioned delivery and it was deemed admirably American by his working class fans. Uh, whereas in comparison, McCready has a much more subdued and genteel style. Uh, his,
0: bob dylan versus not i want to say elton john but not re- like yeah
1: i read like a, a description from someone that talked about like the mccready acting style and, and they talked a lot about like it's more the focus on the words and the words are what's telling the story versus Forrest, who's like i'm going to imbue everything with as much emotion as possible my guess is there's probably a good middle ground between the two of them. <laughs> um, so, McCready, on the opposite, um, he's like praised by wealthy Americans and literary opinion leaders.
0: Mm.
1: And so, kind of, like, leading up until this point, like, theater and performance, like, it, it, it used to be for for everyone. I mean, like, Shakespeare, you have the Groundlings, and, and all of that. Yeah. And so what's happening in America in this time is there's kind of, like, a split happening with theater. And so to avoid mingling with the immigrants and the Five Points crowd, the Astor Place Opera, which is near the junction of Broadway, where the entertainment venues are catering to the upper class, um, they sort of open they sort of start doing like Astor Theater. So the, the Astor Theater house where these riots are or Astor Place Theater, it, it's the opera house. Okay. So if you're looking at like the hierarchy of theater, it's like opera, then theater in the upper areas, and then the Bowery Theater. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the ways that they're sort of like keeping this separate out beyond like the cost and, all, and the location and all of that is the Astor Place has a dress code And so they have a dress code of like white vests and kid gloves, which are like the little white gloves. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of taken as like a provocation by populist Americans where the theater was traditionally a gathering place for all classes.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: So again, guys, theater is so important. Mm -hmm. It comments on things that are happening and it also reflects things that are happening. Mm -hmm. We need the arts. Uh. So the events leading up to the riots. Uh, So on May 7th, 1849, so this is three nights before the riot. So McCready is scheduled to appear in Macbeth, at the opera house. And again, it had opened itself to less, the theater, Macbeth is considered less elevated entertainment compared to a full season of opera. Mm -hmm. Um, Forrest is scheduled to appear in Macbeth the same night, flew a few blocks away at Broadway theater. So Forrest supporters, they brought hundreds of tickets to the top level of the Astor Opera House. um, And they brought this performance like a grinding halt. So they're throwing rotten eggs, potatoes, apples, lemons, shoes, bottles of stinking liquid and ripped up seats
0: okay it's p guys it's P. <laughs> it's p i know it was p
1: i actually didn't think about that it's probably p
0: it's probably p i'm
1: all writing pee. also i'm writing that down it's probably p uh <laughs> so they so the performers no can this time no sheep okay they, based on the the dress code and the requirements they couldn't get the sheep in
0: the bag was too
1: big. Yeah, bag was too big. <laughs> so the, they still do the performance, but they're like they're essentially pantomiming, um, because in addition to all this throwing, there's hissing, groans, cries of shame, shame, which just is feeding into my princess bride visualization, and also the phrase. I'm
0: going Game of Thrones with the. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Also, uh, down with the codfish aristocracy.
0: Ah. Oh.
1: So meanwhile, at uh, the May 7th performance, the audience rose and cheered when Forrest spoke Macbeth's line, what rhubarb, senna, or purgative drug will scour these English hints? And so I think it's important to note here that there's two performances happening and that Forrest has fans at his performance. But there's also all of these people at McCready's performance, because I, I think it sort of like demonstrates while McCready may have, perf- uh, f- you know, patrons and fans in high places, the upper echelons, the upper tens, um, you know, literary heroes and all that, th- the numbers are on Forrest's side. It's just the bank account isn't. hmm so after this disastrous performer performance, McCready announced his intention to leave for Britain on the next boat.
0: He's I get pers- it. Right? You imagine doing a show dodging lemons and tomatoes. Just being like out damn spot and be like, Oh shit. There it <laughs> is. I got hit by a cucumber. Damn it.
1: Yeah, I can't I can't imagine. But thank goodness people are not allowed to bring produce into shows anymore. That we know That we know um, so he is persuaded to stay and okay. perform again. So there's a petition signed by 47 wealthy New Yorkers, including Herman Melville and Washington Irving. Oh, hoo-hoo. And uh, I believe that the, this quote is attributed to Washington Irving. He informed the actor that the good sense and respectful order prevailing in this community will sustain you on the subsequent nights of your performances. Uh. So Macbeth is rescheduled for the evening of May 10th. And to forestall any more trouble, McCready's supporters buy up all the seats, and the theater management they board up the windows and they take other precautions to keep the anti-McCready faction out. So when we say other precautions, the police chief at the time, George Washington Motzel, he informs the new Whig mayor, Caleb S. Woodhull that there's not sufficient man how- power to quell a serious riot uh and so they're just expecting a riot at this point um so i do just want to take a pause here and just sort of talk a little bit about like the Whig party and, and what that means so mm-hmm. alongside the democratic party uh the Whig party is one of two major parties in the united states during the 30s the 40s and the early 50s it's part of the period that some sp- scholars describe as the second party system so Demo- so this is some description so democrats stood for the sovereignty of the people as expressed in popular demonstrations constitutional conventions and majority rule as a general principle of governing whereas whigs advocated the rule of law written and unchanging constitutions and protections for minority interests against major tyranny uh, historian daniel walker howe argues that the whigs were modernizers who attached a great deal of importance to protecting property, maintaining social order, and preserving a distinct cultural heritage. Three characteristic conservative concerns. The Whigs themselves adopted the the word conservative, which they associated with law and order, social caution, and moral restraint.
0: Moral restraint.
1: So there you go. All right. So the state's 7th Regiment is assembled in Washington Square Park, along with mounted troops, light artillery. Uh, About a total of 350 men would be added to the 100 police outside of the theater, as well as 150 inside. So if anyone's really smart, like, this is the night to rob the upper (laughs) 10s. Mm, nope next line additional police were assigned to protect the homes in the area of the city's upper tens the wealthy and elite okay well guys i have no future as a robber
0: (laughs) damn it that's a lot of people right um when i lived in tennessee they did the theater's closed now so don't feel bad saying this um they did Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream Goat, Midgeon Forge. And there was a... I'm sorry, I'm laughing because it sounded like you said
1: Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream Goat.
0: <laughs> and, and one I got just- thrown on stage, one get <laughs> murdered in it. I um, just,
1: like, literally lost it in that moment.
0: I, I do want to see a Technicolor Dream Goat, though. Just to get through. <laughs> it will happen. Um, but there was, like... Massive amounts of like rebuttal because they thought it was anti Christian. Because there's like the Potiphar's wife scene, and there's yeah, like, um, so they they it was just a very weirdly tense time. Um, and so, but it wasn't, you know, it's like one of those things I was like, oh, that feels weird doing the show when you know, like the public in the area, but it's a big tourist destination, but the public in the area doesn't want it. And, but I couldn't imagine, like, as an actor, walking into the theater, but being like, excuse me, excuse me, 400 people with guns. Let me just right.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm walking, here for
0: the art. So, yeah, like.
1: Do you need to check my bag? No sheep.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no sheep. Well, and also, like, as Macready, McCready, like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the reason these 400 people are out here with guns. It's me. My, it's me that would be so just terrifying just terrifying yeah Continue. and that's and that's just on that side because on yeah. the other side
1: similar preparations are being are taking place because like i said um Forrest has the support and connections to tammany hall mm-hmm. so tammany hall captain isaiah Rinders, he's like a fervent backer of Forrest, and he sort of one of the people that had behind that mobilization on McCready on the, the seventh. So he is determined to not only kind of bring down McCready, but also embarrass this newly ensconced Whig powers. Mm-hmm. So now you sort of like, see, oh, there's additional motivations for everyone. So he distributes handbills and posters and saloons and restaurants across the city. He's inviting working men and patriots to show their feelings about the British, asking shall americans or english rule this city uh he hands out free tickets to them uh Uh, they didn't pay uh but he obviously got the money um to the show as well as plans for where people should deploy so the night of the show forced working class supporters descended by the thousands and most sources that i read said ten thousand. like i I read like five or six different sources because I was like, you're like oh, No. there's no way, but that's what they are all saying. Yeah. Um, and I have to note, like, this this is a legit footnote by the Folger Theater on their, their story about this. It was hardly the first theater riot in America, but it soon became the most serious.
0: Can I just say, I'm going to pause you for a second, that in... Every city I've lived in, and I've lived in a few, and I'm sure you could say the same thing, for some odd reason, the theaters do the same shows. Like, one year, everyone does Sweeney Todd, or everyone does Spelling Bee, or everyone does Mama Mia, or everyone does Sound of Music. And it's like, there are so many shows out there. Why are you competing with each other? Like, why are you doing that? Anyway. You're, you're
1: absolutely right. It's like, once one theater announces their season you sort of have an idea of at least two or three shows that all the other theaters are going to do as well
0: yeah like why couldn't they do hamlet while they were doing Macbeth? like why couldn't like they're both good roles it's fine it's okay i'm
1: like i want to do both of those shows yeah i'm almost at the age for lady m okay so while julie's in her her dream So Reinders and his followers, they'd set up relays to bombard the theater with stones. Um, they were having, like, running battles with the police. Uh, at one point, they tried but failed to set fire to the building. So it's, like, sheer chaos.
0: So it's it's a brick building, and they tried, and then they're like, oh, shit. This isn't wood.
1: As the kids say, you tried it.
0: You tried Did it. Did the kids say What's that? That's a running battle. I just like... <laughs> Come and
1: catch me, me, police officer. Here's a stick. Uh, The Tribune reported, as one window after another cracked, the pieces of bricks and paving stones rattled on the terraces and lobbies. The confusion increased till the Opera House resembled a fortress besieged by an invading army rather than a place meant for peaceful amusement of civilized community. So finally, around 915, the authorities call out those troops. Um, and again, they're jostled, they're attacked, they're injured. And I let me just say, like, I'm not, I'm not, like, choosing a side here because I think it's important to note that a lot of what is, a lot of the information that we have is from the newspapers, which, again, are, like, no longer supporting the hometown hero. They're, like, in this, like, vaulted literary place of, like, supporting McCready and, like, mm-hmm. the upper tens and, and all of that. So I think it's important to notice that shift um, because I think that that sort of bias plays in their how they've portrayed the events. That's not to say that, like, they shouldn't have tried to set the building on fire. But, yeah. you know, I would have loved to have just observed in person as a first-person... I would have
0: loved to have been the fuck away from there.
1: <laughs>
0: that sounds, I don't like to go to Black Friday. This sounds like Black Friday. With guns. With, with guns.
1: And also and no sales.
0: And no sales. What's the point?
1: Mm-mm. So um, finally, the soldiers line up. And they open fire. First, they shoot in the air. Um, and then they just, like, straight up point-blank range into the crowd. So, unfortunately... Most of those killed were bystanders, which, like, how does that even work?
0: (laughs) Well, I'm sure it was people that, like, I mean, when I lived in Savannah, this is not related at all, but when I lived in Savannah, they were filming Spongebob Squarepants 2, and I just needed to go to the library. Wait, are
1: there real people in that?
0: There are. Antonio Banderas is in it.
1: Wait, I'm sorry. There's (laughs) a Spongebob Squarepants 1 and 2? Yes, (laughs) Yes,
0: <laughs> Julie's dumbfounded by the world. That's what my face is happening.
1: I'm like literally going to IMDb.
0: So they were filming SpongeBob, SpongeBob scorpions do two, and like Savannah's like a walking town. So I could walk from my dorm to the library, and so I was going, and I need. It was like when I was doing my thesis, so I needed to get to the library, and I was walking, walking, walking. And the street that was in between me and the library, they were shooting a scene where Antonio Banderas was riding a giant pirate ship, like motorized pirate ship down the street. So it was completely shut off. So I couldn't get to the library. I'm not saying that's what those bystanders did, but like, could you imagine being like, not a theater person, just being like, oh, I just need to get some like oranges. I just need to why are all these fucking people here? I just I just need to get over there. I just need to okay. And then they walk. You know what I mean?
1: I know this is a little of a tangent, but I'm so confused. I thought SpongeBob SquarePants lives under the sea.
0: But in Spongebob Savannah. Well in Spongebob Square I don't I didn't see it, but in Spongebob SquarePants too I know they come on the beach.
1: This is going to be the, like, 15-minute bonus episode. Laura explaining SpongeBob SquarePants 2 to Julie.
0: When, in the show that I'm currently doing, um, there's a Nomeo and Juliet line, and I get to defend... I love that movie. I get to defend it because there's, like, a, I wish I hadn't seen Romeo and Juliet, and then we're supposed to argue, and I was like, I have every rebuttal. Music by Elton John. Emily Blunt is the voice of Juliet. Anyway, but yeah, SpongeBob Square. I didn't see the movie. Next episode... <laughs> We should watch it and then come back with our commentary. But I do know that Antonio Banderas rides a giant pirate ship because I couldn't get to the library for two hours. So I, would like, got a coffee from that side of the street and, like, drank a coffee and watched the scene happen over Oh,
1: wait. Is it sponge out
0: of water? Probably. Okay. Oh, my God. And they turned, like, the different... Um, like, different storefronts on Broughton Street, which is, like, the main street in Savannah. Well, there's a billion main streets, but it's, like, the main shopping street. They turned those all into, like, sea-themed This things. literally looks like a nightmare fever dream. Well, yeah. imagine trying to do your thesis, and you just want to get across the street, but Antonio Banderas, like, that's the ultimate, I need to do my homework dream. We are just like, I just need to do my thesis, but Antonio Banderas is riding a pirate ship in between me and the library.
1: <laughs> like, they're all super muscly for some mm. reason. And I don't I didn't I didn't watch the show, so I don't, I don't who's the yeah. starfish? Patrick. Patrick, is it a speedo? Oh my gosh.
0: Sorry okay. for all the SpongeBob's lo- lovers out there. Cut
1: this, cut this out of the, the podcast. No, we're it's a mini it. episode. It's a this the whole, this is taking a turn. Where are we? Okay, people died. Riots. People died. Okay, so the city's elite were unanimous in their praise of the authorities for taking a hard line against the rioters. Oh. Publisher, of course. Oh. Publisher John Watson-Redroad, the promptness of the authorities in calling out the armed forces and the unwavering steadiness with which the citizens obeyed the order to fire on the assembled mob was an excellent advertise to the capital- capitalists of the old world and that they may send their property to New York and rely upon the certainty that it would be safe from the clutches of red republicanism or chartists or communists of any description.
0: We've learned nothing. Yeah. Um,
1: According to Nigel Cliff in the Shakespeare Riots, the riots furthered the process of class alienation and segregation in New York and America. And as part of that process, the entertainment world separated into respectable and working-class orbits. Yeah. Which actually, kind of like a full circle to you talking about that show you saw. There we go. Yeah. Um, as professional actors gravitated to respectable theaters and vaude- vaudeville houses responded by mounting skits on serious Shakespeare. So. Shakespeare at this point was something that was part of popular culture. Everyone saw Shakespeare. Now it's being moved into this new category of highbrow entertainment. So the, the, the respectable theaters are doing Shakespeare and the vaudeville houses are, are mocking Shakespeare.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Bruce, I'm going to, Bruce, I'm going to butcher your name. I'm so sorry. Sorry, Bruce. McConaughey, McConaughey. Emeritus professor of theater at University of Pittsburgh, Uh, he had this to say about the riots. He said, there's this antagonism between Forrest and McCready that goes back really to Forrest's first tour of England in the 30s, but the riot itself is less about the actors per se than it is about the kinds of social and class and national antagonisms in the American theater between supporters of the English actor, McCready, and supporters of Forrest. It's not so much a personal problem between the two performers, Although that's there, um, as it is a kind of antagonism that moves beyond their personal relations and their relations as performative. The champions of Forrester or Tammy Hall Democrats. Their votes are working. Their voters are working class Americans. They think of themselves as strongly patriotic. They are refighting in a way the Revolutionary War, whereas McCready seems to be the pet of princes, as he's called in their propaganda. Uh, they denounce McCready as a symbol of aristocratic oppression. Uh, not simply English oppression, but the oppression faced by working men, patriotic working men, and by their own employers. Uh, these are of course rising capitalists who control the factories and the shipping in New York. And a lot of them are understood to be aristocrats in the British fashion. So the dynamic
0: aristocrats and not aristocrats, and that made me happy.
1: Okay, Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream goat.
0: I did I said dream coat. It sounded like goats. Okay.
1: Why aren't they making an Cats movie instead of Cats the movie?
0: Oh my gosh, could you imagine? But like actual live action where it is all just these little kittens. Because it's about three kittens. Ooh. And not fake live action like Lion King. That's another tangent we could go on, but that's fine. Don't say oh it's live gosh. action, but it's CGI.
1: That's our mini episodes. Lauren, yeah. Julie, Rage, in Tangents.
0: <laughs> Shade over Disney remakes.
1: Uh, so the dynamics take on the proportions of general class antagonism. Mm -hmm. And so when all this erupts in 1849, uh, the newspapers are like, this is the rich against the poor. Mm -hmm. Um, so here is my epilogue with sad music. So Forrest, though Forrest's reputation was badly damaged, his heroic style of acting can be seen in the matinee idols of early Hollywood and performers such as John Barrymore. also, to his credit, I didn't write this down somewhere, but to his credit, I read that he started basically like a retirement home for actors. Um, and he, he wanted it to be like a home. Like it had like 12 people could live there at a time. And eventually it combined with another community in the, in the 80s, but it was open for a while. Um, and so, a little bit, going back a little bit to how I was saying, like, you know, bias and perspective and reporting. Mm-hmm. So, that, so, we've had that whole story. So uh, in my research, I visited the Britannica website, Encyclopedia Britannica, and this is how they described it. This is verbatim. Forrest was initially successful in his first engagement in England in 1836 when he introduced the American acting style, but a misunderstanding led him to publicly hiss a performance by William McCready, arousing great indignation in England. His disagreement with the English actor culminated in the so-called Astor Place riot in New York City in May
0: 1849.
1: And I just think it's like, it's so important to note how just saying like, a misunderstanding and the so-called Astor Place, like, that's like straight up like a tweet by...
0: If someone's taking your name, too bad.
1: I totally forgot to look up McCready. This is really embarrassing.
0: Um, so he...
1: He did a farewell tour of America in forty nine. So once he gets back to England, he does some farewell performances in England. He performs at Haymarket and sort of re- spends the last two years of his life as an invalid. His hands paralyzed, his speech blurred, though his mind active. And he died in 1873. So he was significantly older than Forrest anyway. hmm All right. So that's, that's the epilogue. Um, oh God, I haven't, I haven't finished my one coffee, as is clearly (laughs) evident from my behavior. Okay. Recommended reading. Oh God, I'm crying. I'm (laughs) laughing at myself so hard. Uh, obviously the Shakespeare riots, revenge, drama, and death in 19th century America by Nigel Cliff. Also recommended listening, uh, the Bowery boys podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts um i haven't actually listened to this episode yet but the entire time i was researching this i kept thinking i wonder if they did an episode on this and in fact they did number 289 blood and shakespeare the astor place riot of 1849. Mm. Uh, also shout out to my sources for this which was shakespeare and beyond which is a folger.edu project um good old wikipedia Thoughtco.com and the New York History blog. I refuse Mm -hmm. to give Britannica credit for the one pull quote I use to describe how crappy they are. Okay. And that, my friends, is the story of the Astor Place riot.
0: The other thing that I want to say, besides my horrible misdating it, I want to say that I wasn't misdating it until like right before because I thought anyway.
1: Yeah, because you were like on board with all the timing.
0: I was until, like, right at the end. Um, is that this reminds me of people that, like, are fandom haters. Like, just let everyone love the fandom that they love. Like, people are like, DC sucks, Marvel's awesome, Marvel sucks, DC's awesome. It's like, just, why can't you just like what you like? Like, if someone was a McCready person, let them be a McCready person. Someone was a, f- like, forest person, let them be a forest person. Like, yeah. why, why we gotta hate on other people's fandoms? And, like, making making decisions on who people are because of their fandoms. Like, if someone likes DC, they're obviously this, this, and this. And if someone likes Marvel, they're like, no, maybe, like, just let it go. That's my summary yeah. <laughs> of the riots. Yep. Yep. Um, and I
1: – it's kind of crazy because, like, you could literally – pick up what happened and, and, and put it today, which probably is part of the reason you've transposed the dates, because yeah. some of, some of the things people are, like, these pull quotes from them literally reads like an angry Twitter post.
0: Yeah. Yep. Oof. Well, thank you, Julie. That was awesome. It's given me a lot to think about. Um, gotta find a, a dead sheet tag. Hi, Penny!
1: <laughs> She was quiet the whole recording, and then she, she's got a shake and jingle jangle.
0: Well, I mean, you know, you did close your laptop, so she probably didn't. She's probably oh like, oh, God. we're done. Uh, so Julie, do you have some future light?
1: Uh, yeah, I have like some immediate future light. Um, so last night, um, my husband mentioned that one of his favorite bands, Mm-hmm. Is playing a concert in Maine today. And um, as part of their concert, it's Guster, by the way, spoilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are playing the entire Lost and Gone Forever album,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I loved that album. And Mike loves all their albums, but like for me, I was like, oh my God. Um, but we we looked it up. And so he teaches a class till one, and the concert starts around three. Mm hmm. Um, and he's like, I don't know, we'll get there right at three. And I was like, It's Guster. Like you've always wanted to see them live. Like, let's do this. Uh, and and the venue allows pets. So we're we're gonna bring the puppers. Oh, puppers. Penny's first Guster concert. Not her first concert though. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's sort of like a, a like fun, spontaneous thing that we're doing where we're like, we have to we have to make sure that we go see things and go do things because I I don't know about you, but it's so easy for me to fall back on. I need to relax. Therefore, I'm going to put put on Netflix and turn off my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I need to do more things to relax myself. Like, go for a bike ride. Go see a show. Mm -hmm. You know, do whatever. So that's my future, Light. What's yours?
0: um, I guess the big... Like, we started rehearsal for Bubble Boy the musical. And I will say... In general, like, it is a super fun, ridiculous show. But our director and my cast is just ridiculous. Like, every, every moment is packed with silly. And it's so great to, like, go into a place that is not, to <laughs> speak of, like, this, like, intense theater world, but to go and be like, sometimes people just need silly and fun for an hour and a half. And so it just, it's a really fun place to just kind of remember why I love doing what I do like not getting emotional or like wrecked or you know all this catharsis like the catharsis is just like laughing hysterically during rehearsals um so yeah that's my future light it opens next month so I'm so excited awesome Woo-hoo. all yeah, right we we'll well, actually
1: debuting these next month
0: we'll i see. know yeah ah! Ah! All right, everyone. Well, send us your historical shade or even some family shade if you want. It has to be pretty old though. Um, And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.
1: underscore